Welcome back to Truth Talks with Dr. Ann. So we are privileged to have Dr. Scott Masson with us again. If you missed his first uh, video on um, just basically education, academic education, his perspective, but also his trajectory in that, um, that endeavor, you really need to go back and watch that. But today, um, we're going to talk to Dr. Masson, and he's going to talk a little bit, well, hopefully a lot, on classical education, because that really is his passion, and he's got lots of experience with it. So welcome again, Dr. Masson. This is going to be an exciting uh, opportunity. Great to be with you. Thank you again, and and look forward to talking about this. Yeah, so classical education for me and was... Um, uh, connected to what I talked about last time in my my own journey in going to Germany and trying to trying to get a what I saw as a classical education which which Milton describes in his little treatise of education he talks about learning uh, Greek and Latin and various European languages so I tried to do that myself but it wasn't just the education I found. There was a whole um, worldview that came with that, which I wanted for myself. And I felt like I had been deprived by going to the public schools. And I, so I was, I was upset about that, and I was sufficiently upset to, to do something about it. And I spent years of my life uh, trying to acquire a classical education for myself. And... Um, when I came back to Canada after studying in in, uh, in uh, Durham and came to teach at Tyndale University, um, I came back because they were offering in a Christian university a great books program effectively. So it was teaching the great texts and, um, and trying to do so in a way that would integrate the Christian faith with these great texts. And I think it's a that is a tried and true way. There are other ways, but a tried and true way of of educating classically. Um, and um, so I wanted to. I thought I was joining at, when I joined Tyndale something in that uh, of that nature, and I was hoping that I would start be able to start classical schools here. And as I carried on, I I learned more and more about the history uh, even of Christ, uh, or of education in Canada. And I discovered actually that there was a lady by the name of, of Hilda Neatby. Now, I don't know, have you, do you know who Hilda Neatby is by no. chance? No, I don't. Okay. She wrote a book called So Little for the Mind. Uh, she was on the first Massey Commission. A very interesting lady, a historian out in, from Saskatchewan. Uh, she was a member of the 1949 to 1951 Massey Commission. And she wrote a scathing um, review of the influence of ideas on education that came out of the U.S. Oh, and I and, want to, and she, I want to read that. Just, <laughs> yeah, it's, you should. It, most people haven't read it, but it. Um, and she was complaining that it was uh, that they, they kept talking about John Dewey. And and they were all enthused about John Dewey. And she and her response was that uh, Dewey was effectively attacking a classical education. In my ear, I was very interested in this and, and was substituting the classical education with, with a, what was effectively 
from my perspective as a romantic scholar, a, a romantic worldview. And talking about uh, education now being a place where children find sympathy and understanding and encouragement. And there, it's not about uh, um, right and wrong. It's about um, being happy and feel, being satisfied and, and, and being content and, and being accepted and included. That was the purpose of education. So it wasn't an educational purpose. It was more of a therapeutic purpose. So education exactly. was becoming more and more therapeutic and less and less about acquainting people with right and wrong and true and false and so forth. So that philosophy education, which she critiqued, she said that it's anti-intellectual. It's it goes against cultural and it and it and it's opposed to uh, the teaching of morality. It actually regards moral education as effectively non-education. It's not really a, a matter that is of interest to us as educators. And she said this is just plain nonsense. It, it, education has always involved um, uh, training in. Uh, in morality, in right and wrong, and, yes. and I, that that and that very much resonated with me because I'd read another book by C.S. Lewis called *The Abolition of Man*. And he complained about exactly the same thing uh, was happening in England. They were not teaching that m morality was connected to human nature. They, morality was a thing that we we have feelings about, but our feelings are not objective and real. They're just subjective, and they vary from person to person simply not true and lewis right. said that if um if that was our view then we were already at odds with the whole of the ancient world the medieval world and even the 18th century world this is a very new opinion and so i'm finding reinforcement for my own my own um sense of reading history that that is actually what has just happened. So Hilda Neepe in her book, again, it's called So Little for the Mind, and it's a critique of education in Canada, public education. This is back in the 1940s, and she's part of the Massey Commission. She was the only woman in that Massey Commission. Very interesting, a Saskatchewan historian. You should look her up. Very, very interesting. I'm going to do that. Yes. And yeah. Just just one thing I'm thinking about there, you know, um, just in very simple terms, simplistic for me, um, this whole uh, your your truth is your truth, my truth is your and uh, my truth yeah. got spurred all out of that. So that was 1949. That's when she, so she's on the Massey Commission from 49 to 51. I can't remember when the book is published, but I think it's 1952. And she's so that's a long time ago. Yeah, this is yeah. She's complaining about the influence of this. This, this the, the, everybody coming from the field of education is going on and on and on about John yeah. Dewey, and she said this, 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 this. These American ideas are ridiculous, and yet they're gaining traction in the public education of 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 uh, Upper Canada, or on. And she says, and this, and and it needs to stop. And it, well, it didn't stop. It, no, it, it kept it on moving. And it keeps on moving and it will. And my perspective is that there's no way of stopping it from within the system of progressivism. It, it, there's, no, there's no handbrake for it. It just keeps on going in the direction of being for more and more child-centered, more and more therapeutic, and less and less educational. And that's what we're seeing in the public system at, at, oh. at, at, as we speak. On steroids, it's just, 
you know, I was just reading how they don't have enough mental health workers in the schools across Canada. Well, they wouldn't. Uh, of course not. I mean, the reality is, uh, now, there there were no mental health workers in the school when I grew up. Uh, All right. And something else that has changed, I mean, so much has changed in the last 70 years, of course. And the reality is we, you know, we were taught we had moral guidelines. In fact, I'll tell you a little story because I think this is really pertinent. My husband was at a funeral yesterday and he met his principal, um, huh. who was still living, and they had a great conversation. And uh, the principal was saying, you know, when I was uh, principal, it, it was, um, I think, uh, up to grade eight school at that point. Anyways, he said, you know, we would meet in the gym every morning and we would we would pray and we would sing Oh Canada. And he said, and there was a time, um, it probably was the reverse. They sang Oh Canada as a group and then they would pray. He would pray the Lord's Prayer. They would pray it together. And then uh, one day a student, and I think I have this right, asked if they could, if the student asked if they could pray for, I think his mom or his aunt or something, like just out, you know, just spoke out and said, could we pray for? And he said, absolutely, let's do that right now. This was in the school. So this is uh, like uh, 60 years ago, 60 plus years ago. And uh, they prayed. The next day, uh, he he said, I'll put up a, a bulletin board, you know, a little thing. And if you have a prayer request, just put it on. Next day, there were six prayer requests to pray about. And they prayed as a group for the individuals. You see, there was a connectedness of community there as well that we totally are so disconnected from. We're disconnected from God. We're disconnected from a moral absolute. We're disconnected yeah. educationally, um, and we're disconnected uh, communally from one another. But there's something about that when he was talking about that, my husband was sharing, of the, well, it, how much we have lost, how much we have lost in the last 60 years is just overwhelming. Yeah. And and we usually peg it to the 60s, right? And the, the yeah. sexual revolution. And of course, it, it is there. And, and there it really starts to become expressed uh, flagrantly and and uh, in a revolutionary way. There's a you know deliberate anti-authority measure there but as as i say hilda neatby is identifying it back in the in the late 40s yeah. as as being an american import a, a type of way of and you'll find that the exact same thing is going on in britain um in 1947 there's a labor party politician named uh, graham savage that introduces um the london school plan which brings uh, the british educational system more in line with the american model so same thing happening across the Anglosphere, exactly what Hilda Neatby is talking about. And Lewis, C.S. Lewis is already complaining about, well, then it, it just keeps going further down that path. So education has largely been lost in the, the public school education system is no longer an educational system. Exactly. And you said something earlier that I've been saying for a while, and that is that and you've probably been saying for long before me, that, that we cannot fix the public education system. The way it is, exactly. we cannot go fix it from inside. There's something else we must do, 
And I mean, uh, for teachers that are watching this today, I know that I've, I've just uh, pressed a real hot button for you, but I, I want you to think really, really deeply about this because um, this is about, we need to make this about what's best for our children and what's happening, what's being under the guise of education taught in our public schools is just atrocious. So what's the solution? Well, I think classical education is just a recovery of the basic um, structure and purpose of education. Um, and it will be rooted in not just Christian. I mean, when, when I say it's going to be Christian, those who are not Christians say, well, that's only going to apply for Christians. So it's sort of like, a, you know, it's, it's, it's relative to Christians that this will hold true. And my response is, a, a Christian education is going to fulfill a classical, classical education best. But a, but a classical approach to education existed before Christians came on the scene. It was rooted in what they called, eventually got called the seven liberal arts, which begin with grammar. And when you went to school, you would have been taught phonics. Oh, yes. When I went to school, I was taught phonics. And phonics is the way you sound out where you read these letters together and they make a certain sound. And if you're taught phonics and there's a certain number of phonemes that you can learn, it's 70 odd phonemes. If you learn those sounds connected to these letters, you can sound out any word that you read and you'll be able to roughly speaking, guess how it sounds. Immediately, without ever even having read the word before, you'll be able to sound it out and be able to read it out loud. Now that is that has not been phonics has not been taught in schools for for decades, probably about forty at least forty years. Wow, uh, maybe even longer than that, uh, forty five years or so. Um, and the result of that is just that children find it very difficult to read because yes. they don't have things broken down to the bit the most basic building blocks. And without the building blocks that build the foundation, they can't move on to the higher forms of learning. In in the classical education, they they speak of it in terms of phases. There's a grammar phase and then a, a logic phase and then a rhetoric phase. And these are all building on top of one another. We Our children don't know how to read or write that's or right. do arithmetic. People have been complaining about it for years. Well, that's because of an educational approach. They're not, they're not interested in uh, acquainting kids with a reality that is ling linguistically understood or mathematically understood. They're, they want to uh, give the kids therapy. Yeah. And the therapy is there just to make them feel included. And that's and to the feel, whole purpose. To feel good about themselves, you know? Yes, and that's I, all it is. And I'm thinking, you know, I remember my school years, my elementary school, my whole school, I I didn't come from a very good home situation, but uh, school was my safe place. It was oh. my safe place because I went there to learn. I really liked learning and I really enjoyed my teachers who took an interest in me. Um, not all of them, but a couple of them. I remember my grade eight teacher particularly. And I mean, it, it wasn't therapeutic, in one sense, but it was in another. She was just interested in in my learning, not about my personal life. Um, and if I had have told her what was going on in my home, she would have become very interested very quickly. I know that. But 
the reality is that she was there to teach and to teach well. And because she was able to do that well, we really connected. And I think, yes. you know, children miss all of that. And it was that that teacher and a couple others who really inspired me, even though I did not go on to higher education um, until I was in my second marriage. But I mean, the reality is I loved to read. Mm. I just loved it. It created a passion in my early, early years. And it's because exactly what you're saying, I find I don't sound things out as well at this age. I don't know what's going on with my brain this age, I think. But um, but what you're saying is right on because we were taught- It's acquainting things. people with a certain stable reality that is outside of themselves that they can trust will be there and it's not going to change based on how they feel. It's not going to change on yeah. uh, how, how their parents are treating them or mistreating them. It's still there and they can- have confidence in that. And that, of course, that has a therapeutic effect because it makes, it means that they're, they're not anxious about things, but if everything's dependent on their feelings and, and we're going to decide that the whole world is going to fit around my feelings, well, then I'm stuck in the, if I, if my feelings are all over the place, then that means the whole world is all over the place and there is no stability. Well, that just makes me even more nervous. Well, that's why we have the mental health crisis. You know, Scott, we, generally, think... do have, we do have these mental health crises. Oh. They're very real. Oh, uh, yeah, I've been saying to people that we've created the greatest mental health crisis the world's ever seen, and our ever. children are the ones who are the victims of that. But I never thought until I just got talking about my own experience of going to school. I've always known it was a safe place for me. I felt safe at school, and learning itself felt very safe for me um, because my and my my home situation was absolutely chaotic. But what you're saying there, like, I, I just think that people need to hear this, that we didn't need um, mental health people in the school system because the school and education itself and the teachers actually were very safe. Healthy. They were, it was a healthy place to be. So when I came there, even though I could have left the most horrendous situation, um, and most often did, I came to school and it was like I was able to put that behind me so that I could actually learn things. And so what we're doing now, wow, I, you know, I think I've just- So Jordan to... Peterson's wrote a book about the antidote to chaos, right? And it's about the rules of life. Yeah, but yes. really what the rules of life are, is they're just acquainting with you that your habits should fit with an order, the order's already out there and you need to act in accordance with an orderly universe because it is basically orderly. Even if, even if your own domestic situation is chaotic and disruptive right. and even abusive, that doesn't mean that there is no order out there. You need to recognize that there's order and you need to live in accordance with that order because that will make your life, uh, you'll be able to escape the traumatic situation you're in right now. But in education, they've moved away from that. So of course it destroys all the children to some degree, but those who are actually come from situations of domestic violence, abuse, whatever, it, it offers them no refuge. It, it's just more of the same. And of course, those are the kids that tend to break. Those are the vulnerable ones. And I would have yep. been so vulnerable in this education. Oh, you would have. System. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I just, I think that's why I have such a passion 
for what children are going through right now and, and trying to rescue, you know, to protect them because, you know, I see the vulnerabilities. I don't have the solutions all the time, but just even talking to you, I just see how, and I've always believed, like this is my belief and I don't even know, uh, well, I, because I didn't accept Christ till I was, well, I was 18. So it wasn't part of my growing up uh, structure of the church or anything like that. So that kind of order in that kind of sense. But when you're talking about order and and this whole rational sense that there's there's a plan and there's a purpose and here's safety in this plan and purpose, that that being lost in our education is crippling. It's crippled now four generations or about four generations, forty four decades of um, education. And so now how to coming back to that and then being able to provide a classical education that will build those structures in to a child's life to build safety. It'll build safety. And, it does build and, and this place it's, where it's, they can It's ironic that, they, that at present in the, in the public education system, they keep talking about safety and they're, they're, you know, we need to make the children safe. And yet, they, the, 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 what they're giving them is making the children feel unsafe. So there's no way of... <laughs> so the abusers are the protectors. And they don't even really realize that they are abusers. Some of them do, of course. But many of them, they're just... You are producing an environment which destabilizes the child and makes them feel even more unsafe than they were before. And telling everybody else not to upset them is not helping the child. No. Equating them with with truth and falsehood, with the fact that there is a reality that they can trust and live in, that would help them feel safe. But you can't and, just do it by by not not contradicting them when they say crazy things. Well, that's right. And you know, having expectations, teachers having expectations. There's a guideline. There's a certain expectation for each child, and not every child is intellectual, right? There's the the expectations aren't about you, you have to do this this way. It's about how can we make this into a learning experience and and that the expectation is that you will complete it, that you will you will do your very best. You will and, graduate. You'll go up one, a, a gratis in Latin is a step. You go up a, a degree, you go further and further up, you go up the steps and then you're, you reach the top step and you graduate, you move on. But the reason you can move on is because you are somebody who has a sufficient grasp of reality that you can now function as an adult. And and along with that comes this real sense of achievement. Like, honestly, I used to, I think I lived for all those little stars, you know, those little wee stars. I mean, I and probably was a people pleaser, you know, right from my earliest age, you know, but at the same time, I really, really wanted to learn. And so I think children are, we're doing such a disservice because children have, I think, an underlying desire to learn. I mean, that's, they love it. Look at babies, look all the way through, but it's the structure, the repetition, those things that have been so, um, annihilated in our education system. So how do you yep. bring that into a classroom, uh, a classical classroom? You've touched on it a little bit. So um, 
it's not it's not the way you might think that it 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 begins well let's start with the foundation and and then we keep on building that and then the child adds what he or she wants in accordance with the sort of things that they like it's more that you have a uh, you have an idea of what the ideal uh, person is to begin with and that ideal person from a christian vantage point is christ you your your aim is to make people be Christ-like in their character and in their knowledge and in every attribute. And so obviously you're not going to succeed in this because of the problem of human sin. But but you it's still, what would that look like if somebody was to be a, a, a human being acting like Christ? Well, they would have certain character attributes. We, and so we can uh, encourage those in the classroom at all times. You are to act like Christians. That we can see. But what would it mean in terms of knowledge? What well, would mean to have a firm grasp of the reality that God created around us? And we can understand that reality in two ways. We can either understand it through words or we can understand it through numbers. And because those are the two basic ways that we determine truth and falsehood. We can talk, we can make uh, logical fallacies, we can make truthful statements. Those are the linguistic ways. In terms of numbers, well, basically it's just mathematics. It's equations. Two plus two is always four. It's, it can't be five. That's not white math as, you know, the crazy uh, <laughs> slur that we hear. in the, Even in the sciences, it's creeping into the universities now in oh. the sciences as well. They're starting to question mathematical truths. But but we would acquaint them with reality in that way and, and with the idea that at the end of that, the person who is uh, well-educated will have a firm grasp of reality through numbers and through words and and weave the disciplines together and, and uh, connect Christian character to it. Um, you will get a fully functional adult who will be uh, in some ways a master of his his or her sphere, and the sphere is very small. It'll probably be the home, the domestic sphere. But some will be able to go beyond that, But that, and that's very important. If you can master your home, the children in your home, you create a, a stability in which they can grow up and be educated and nurtured, and that will mean that they are able to flourish in life, right? With that certitude yeah. around you, you're, you're gaining mastery or dominion over that little sphere uh, about uh, of which you have control over and then you can go on to that to go into the realm of business and civic life and so forth but it it builds from the you know a circle of dominion out further and further to express dominion even over over cities and and perhaps even nations you know the child in your home may be a future prime minister of canada well they're only going to be able to do that if they have mastery over themselves to begin with they have well, to control their own emotions. <laughs> they have to control their own minds. They have sorry, to be able yeah. to understand. I'm thinking about our prime minister. Anyways. I know. <laughs> Don't Oops. do that. Uh, yeah, that's okay. Uh, I digress. But you're right. Everything that you do then builds. it. One thing builds on another. And if you don't have the building right through the whole process, then you you don't graduate, so to speak. You don't graduate. So you have to master. You have to master yourself first of all. If you if yeah. you can't master yourself and control yourself and be uh, able to relate to other people, 
in a way that shows self-possession and and um, and a respect for other people and an ability to love other people, then you're never going to be able to run your own household, let alone a business, let alone a country. If you can't get up in the morning and go to bed at a certain time and you can't prepare meals for yourself, if you can't keep yourself physically fit, if you can't relate to other people without getting into quarrels, then there's no way you're going to be able to govern other people. You have to be able to govern yourself, first of all. And a classical education is teaching you the principles of self-governance, which you're then going to apply in in more um, areas where you have greater responsibility. But again, it, it because it, it focuses on what a human person is ideally, which we know in Jesus, this is the model, this is what we're like, then we can start to govern ourselves and leave, live godly, harmonious, uh, blessed lives of grace and love, characterized by those things. And if we treat other people with love, we, we find that, you know, when we smile at people, they smile back. That's right. If we treat people with grace and compassion, we receive grace and compassion back. If we're, if we're destructive in our actions and conduct, we're going to get that in kind as well. So there's a, a foundation for that. But again, it's rooted not in uh, giving us therapy. It's giving us uh, an acquaintance with reality and an ability to interact with that reality and, and do so in a way where we have dominion over it. I think um, it, it's been phenomenal just just listening to you talk about this. Um, how um, This will be our last question. What or how um, do people begin a classical school? And I, I mean, I'm going to be talking to Bruce Friesen, your friend next week, so he may want to expand on this, but just um, very quickly, what are your thoughts on that? Well, to begin the classical school, I mean, again, it sort of goes back to what I just said. You have to have the education yourself. You, you have to be committed to if you've been publicly educated, which most of us have, you're going to have to revisit um, a lot of things, uh, areas that were really untouched by your education. So you're going to have to be committed to do on a on a probably on a less extravagant scale what I did, which is to say, I want to know these things because I was never taught them. So I'm going to decide I'm going to learn myself as an adult. I have now the ability to concentrate and devote time in a way that I couldn't when I was young. You know, children don't have a, a big, a big uh, attention span, but I have a pretty good one now, and I'm going to take a great deal of time and devote myself to learning things, and I'm going to find people that will, will, will be there to help me understand these things. There are a lot of resources out there now. Yes. And the, the homeschooling community and its materials are almost all uh, classical um you know, I say predicated on a classical uh, education. So almost all uh, homeschool materials are that. And so people are doing it at a very, uh, at a small scale. But if you wanted to start a school, then you need to find others that will be committed to the same ideals and want to do it as a community. And that will require cooperation. And it should ideally be supported by a, a local church or churches where they can gather and pool resources and collaborate and function together. And I, I think that's a good outcome um, because it expands the classical education from beyond just my individual family to a, a community. 
Because at the end of the day, our kids are going to have to marry somebody and live with other people. And why not go for the the bigger prize? But I mean, if you can only save your family, well, then save your family. That's good. Do that. Um, but that's how you would start. The go go for the resources. My my YouTube channel. I've put up my lectures from my awesome. classes at Tyndale, and uh, anybody can go and watch those at any time. They read the books, and um, you can listen to my lectures, and hopefully they'll help guide you as well. That sounds wonderful. I'm I'm excited to do some of that. So, thank you. This is I think this has been a learning curve. It's been a learning curve for me. I expect others have felt the same. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Isn't that what life is always about? We are constantly learning. Yep, yep, yep. It's so important. I do all the time. Exactly. And then when you stop learning, well, I always heard, you stop learning, you stop stop living in a sense, you know? We have to keep that up. So I want to thank you, Dr. Masson. And uh, I think uh, as time permits in the future, Hopefully, you'll be able to come back on and um, talk more about this because it's such an important subject. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed and more than enjoyed. I hope you really take away a lot from Dr. Masson's uh, interview and that you will think very deeply on the whole issue of education and what's happening in our public system. What could be the antidote to that in classical education as he talks about that. So please um, please pick up his book and check out his YouTube channel. And we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to Truth Talks with Dr. Rand. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can find Ann's books, blog, and sign up for the newsletter by going to restoringthemosaic.ca.